This is, of course, the first Sunday of the Advent season, our journey towards Christmas. Now, I know a lot of you have been celebrating Christmas in secret since October. This is the first week we get to do it without any shame. So we're out of the closet finally, and we can say, Merry Christmas, church. Just say Merry Christmas to somebody. Merry Christmas. Yeah. And as we begin our celebrations, working towards the climax of the season, I want to read you some passages from the Bible that I think point to what may be the most Christmas word of them all. And I want you to see if you can find the word that threads itself through these three passages. Here's the first one, Psalm 23. Well, you know these words, the first four verses, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. And your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now have a look at Matthew in chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. Here we are, the Christmas story. The birth of Jesus took place this way to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet Isaiah. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And finally, in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Therefore, Jesus says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the page, end of the age. Three, <laughs> Three passages. One before Jesus, one at the beginning of his life on earth, one at the end of his ministry. And the most Christmas word of them all that threads itself through the three passages, that little word, with. Emmanuel, God with us. One of the great themes of the Bible, the withness of God. It's a little wee word, but it is a wondrous word. And boy, if I could give a gift at the beginning of the season, that would be the gift, the gift of wonder. If you're not familiar with the word Advent, Advent is simply a, a reference to this season of waiting and preparing for, for the birth of Jesus. You know, things, things build in their excitement. And when you give a stretch of time to allow them to build, when the day finally comes, there's that much more to it. Right? And so this is that time of building excitement. Christmas comes every single year. But we, we want to stop and pay attention to it. We want to, to build to that crescendo. John 1, verse 14, is another one of those awe-inspiring crescendo-building passages of the Bible. Kind of a Christmas passage. You know these words probably. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And that phrase became flesh. That takes the idea of being with someone to a whole nother level, doesn't it? That God became flesh. That God who was always present in the world now becomes present in a tangible way that, boy, there was no preparing for the idea that God would do this, that God takes on flesh. 
And in a sense, all the promises flow from that moment. All the promises of Christmas, all the promises that come afterwards, promises like this one, 1 Corinthians 1 verse 20 says, all of God's promises find their yes in Jesus. And so through him, the amen is spoken to us by the glory of God. So when God takes on flesh, there is something unique and something powerful that happens in the world. He promises in a sense that even in your most isolated moments, you need never be alone. He promises that everything about your life, even the dark parts we don't acknowledge, can be healed, can be redeemed. It's God with us. That's, that's Christmas. The Latin word that's used in the passage, you don't really want a Latin lesson, do you? Well, you're getting it anyway. The Latin word used in that passage for taking on flesh is the word incarnate. And so we get the word that we use, churchy word, incarnation. It has everything to do with the withness of God, that, that, that ultimate expression of being with, taking on our form, God with us, God in flesh. So really, this, this is meant to be, over the next four weeks, a Christmas sermon in four parts about the wonder of the incarnation, about the withness of God. Part one, and today, is really about the power of wonder, about wonder. Human beings are unique among all the species on earth in our capacity to wonder, to be overwhelmed by awe about the world around us. In fact, there are researchers at a place called the Greater Good Science Center in Berkeley, California, because where else would you find the Greater Good Science Center except Berkeley, California? But they've done research on the human capacity for wonder, for, for being overcome by awe and, and just swept up in, 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 in the majesty and the beauty of, of life and the world and God who designed it all. Many of their studies have shown that wonder, it turns out, is incredibly important for human thriving. It's just really good for us. The study suggests that wonder improves your mood. It just makes you more satisfied with life. That wonder is good for your health. That wonder improves critical thinking. It decreases materialism. It increases humility. And interestingly, some of their studies have shown that wonder actually makes you feel like you have more time. It induces generosity and goodwill, gives you this gift of time, and finally, wonder makes you feel more connected to others. Wonder, in short, is just good medicine. It's good for us. And interestingly, this Greater Good Science Center in Berkeley, California, says that the most reliable way to experience wonder is in worship. The mechanic at work in this, the, the mechanism, is sometimes called by psychologists the small self effect. The small self effect. We experience wonder when we feel small in comparison to the vastness of the night sky or to the, to the power of a surging wave that's cascading over the shoreline coming at us. In fact, the, 
the director of the Greater Good Science Center concluded, and this is the summary, said one simple prescription can have a transforming effect in life. Look for more daily experiences of awe. A-W-E, awe. In short, change what you pay attention to. And so that's kind of going to be our ask of each other during the Advent season. Let's change what we pay attention to. Now, this kind of wonder, this small self-effect, boy, when you, when you tune into it, you see it's there in all of the Christmas stories. And so I'm going to ruin the ending. I'm going to read the Christmas story now at the very beginning of the season. We'll read it again at the height of the season. But here's the Christmas story. Listen as it sounds the note of awe and wonder. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks by night. An angel of the Lord suddenly appeared before them. That's kind of awe-inspiring, yes? The glory of the Lord shone all around them. Because we need the description to remind us that this is an awe-inspiring thing. This is not a cute little baby-looking cherub. They were terribly afraid, and you would be too. Heaven itself opens up, and there's an angel. The angel said to them, do not be afraid. I'm bringing you some great news. Great news of great joy. And it'll be for everyone, for all people. For unto you this day in the city of David, there has been born a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And when the angels had left them, gone into heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that's happened. The thing the Lord has told us all about. And so they hurried off. They found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw him, they spread word considering all the things that had been told to them about the child. And everyone who heard it, and here it is, were in wonder at what the shepherds had said. Over the next few weeks, we're going to think and try and cultivate the capacity for wonder. We're going to talk about the wonder of hope. The marvel of being able to place our hope in something that is noble and beautiful and true and certain. We're going to talk about the wonder of love and the wonder of joy and the wonder of peace. The series really is meant to be an invitation to awe, to wonder. And if you didn't need another reason for it, the science says it's good medicine. It's just good for you. So we're going to stop. We're going to pay attention to wonder. The second little part of the sermon today that I wanted to focus a bit of time on has to do with that word that we teased out at the beginning, with the little word, with. The word with, as it turns out, is one of the names of Jesus. You shall call his name Emmanuel, which means with, but really God with us. Three aspects to it. He is God. He is like us, or he is human, and he is with us. The two things that you would think were impossible to bring together. God and humanity brought together in him to say, I am with you. And as we kind of investigate this, I want to tell you now that there's a part of this sermon that is going to be kind of PG-13. I'll warn you when we get there, uh, but there's a PG-13 section because in addressing this, we have to talk about some of the difficult parts of humanity, about what it meant for God to become human. I mean, what is it about humanity that would make that so inconceivable? 
But before we get to that part, I want to talk about socks. <laughs> How's that for a change? <laughs> uh, I'm wearing a pair of Christmas socks today. Let, let me show you. These ones, let me pull them up. Naughty. Haha. But wait, wait, wait for it. On this side, guess what? Nice. Isn't that good? Nice. I have a, I have a sock drawer filled with Christmas socks. I, I kind of get a new pair every year, and, and they're cool. I, I mean, the quality of socks has gone way up over the course of my lifetime. We used to hate getting socks as kids, right? Like, that, that was a groan of a gift. Now socks are cool, right? Have you looked at all this? It's amazing. Stuff your Christmas stocking with Christmas stockings. And you'll have a lot of fun. But however you feel about socks under the tree, I want you to have a pair this Christmas because Christmas should knock your socks off, right? You need to have them on if you're going to get them knocked off, right? I was actually, I was looking up that little reference this week. Where did that come from? Turns out that knock your socks off expression is from the 1800s from the sport of boxing. Pugilism, as they called it. You know, and your trainer might look down at you after you got knocked out and said, that guy hit you so hard that not only did he knock your shoes off, he knocked your socks off. And I think it's kind of relevant, and here's why. Think about what God is doing in the Old Testament, and about what God is like and how people perceive him. Sometimes he's loving and close and gracious and slow to anger, but sometimes God is terrifying. And God appears to Abraham. He doesn't appear as a teddy bear to cuddle up to. He is a smoldering furnace. He appears to the nation of Israel as a pillar of fire. He appears to Job as a tornado. When Moses tries to speak to God and says, God, I'd love to see you face to face. God says, I can't do that. You'll die immediately. And so the best that God is able to do is stick him in the cleft of a rock and pass by at a distance and he just catches a glance of, of the backside of God. What do you think Moses would have said if he had read the words we just read together from the book of John, that the word now became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw him and we saw the glory of God in him. I mean, you imagine Moses, you know what this means? That you can actually draw close to God? I wanted that my whole life and it was too risky. This was my life's ambition. He would have said, where's your joy? Where's your awe? This should be the main thing about your life, that you can be close to God. He might have even said, it blew my socks off. In fact, it did just that for Moses. Took off his sandals. This is holy ground. We're in the presence of the Lord. The fiery tornado of a God doesn't just show up like a human being. He doesn't just sort of arrive, pop in as an adult, drop off some wisdom and leave. Now, God's designs are, they're grander than that. What does he do? He comes as a baby, vulnerable, small, dependent, wondrous. I mean, wondrous. Why would God do that? Why not just part the skies and with, with all the pageantry and regality of the, of the coming king, just drop himself on earth in the middle of the most populous centers of the world, the centers of power, and speak from a position of authority? Why this? Why a vulnerable, dependent little baby? Here's why. Because it, it was God's goal 
not just to deliver some teaching, but to become human in every way, to be near to us in every way, so that we would never doubt that in God we have someone who knows, really knows what life is. That's incarnation. Incarnation means that that God suffered. And yet Jesus triumphed in his suffering, but, but Christmas will show you a God who knows what it means to be human, unlike anything else. You ever felt betrayed? Felt lonely? A lot of people are lonely at Christmas time. I expect it'll be the same this year. Ever felt desperate? Ever faced death? So would Jesus. Check, check, check. Sometimes people say, hey, you don't understand. I prayed to God for things. God ignored my prayers. I'll say, but remember Jesus there in the Garden of Gethsemane? Father, if it be possible, take this cup from me. He's talking about crucifixion, about his own death. Asking not to be put to death. And he was turned down on that one. Jesus knows the pain of unanswered prayer. It's part of the meaning of Christmas. Other people will say, I feel like God's abandoned me. How many of you know what that's like? Jesus knew what that was like. There he is on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus knows the pain of abandonment. It's part of the meaning of Christmas. Really what Christmas is is trying to say is that God has been in all the places that you and I have been and will be. And he's been there in the darkness that you and I have found ourselves in. And even more, that we can trust him to pull us out. Incarnation is God's way of saying, I understand every part of your life. And I can be with you in every part. And it's also his way of saying that my power, my presence, will prevail over anything troubling you, no matter what it is. Here's how Tim Keller put it. He said, the incarnation means that God has the capacity for infinite comfort. And in order to emphasize the point, a Christian psychologist, Richard Beck, spent some time reflecting on a famous and a famously offensive piece of art. Now, this is the PG-13 part of the sermon. I'm going to read you a bit from Dr. Beck's book, actually a fair bit. Now, it's PG-13, but I mean, I just want to give you warning. It's not terrible, but, well, let me just get into it. This is what Dr. Beck wrote. He said, last week at the prison Bible study that I lead, I lead inmates, I led inmates through an unlikely meditation. Our focus was on a controversial photograph by Andreas Serrano, 1987. The photographer, Andreas Serrano, unveiled this controversial work. And there, there you see it on the screen. It's beautiful, isn't it? Until you know what it is. This is the photograph of a crucifix submerged in a mixture of blood and urine. And the work broke into public consciousness 1989, I think. Beck says that members of the U.S. Senate expressed outrage that Serrano had received $15,000 from the American National Endowment for the Arts. Senators called the work filth and blasphemous and abhorrent. One senator said that in naming it, here's the PG-13, he named it Piss Christ. In naming it, Serrano was taunting the American people, seeking to create indignation, 
It's all right for him to be a jerk, they said, but let him be a jerk on his own time with his own resources. Let's not dishonor our Lord with federal dollars. Later, 1997, the National Gallery in Melbourne, Australia, was closed when the members of a fanatical Christian group attacked the facility and damaged the photograph. This, Beck says, is an example of the psychological dynamic called negativity dominance in judgments of contamination. Now, that was a mouthful. So he goes on to explain. He says, that is, when something pure comes into contact with a contaminant, we feel like it's the pure thing that gets polluted, that, that the contaminant dominates over the positive. The power is not with the pure, the power is with the pollutant. That's why, Beck says, the Pharisees see Jesus being defiled when he eats with tax collectors and sinners, because the pollutant, the tax collectors, the sinners, defiles Jesus, the pure. And so in the contact between urine and Jesus in this painting, we instinctively judge the negative to be stronger than the positive. So it's shocking and it's blasphemous. But, and catch what Beck says here, the real blasphemy might just be this, that we think somehow that urine is stronger than Jesus, that we instinctively and blasphemously believe that the defilement of our own lives is the strongest force in the universe, stronger even than God. It never occurs to us that Christ is stronger than the expletives of our lives. Beck says, I looked at the men in the Bible study and I said, this is the scandal of the incarnation. This is the scandal of Christmas. That God descends into the expletives and darkness of our life and the expletives and darkness did not overcome it. I told the men, I know, I said, this is so very hard to believe that Jesus goes into the darkest, most disgusting, most defiled corners of our lives. By that, by that itself, it's hard to believe. But even harder to believe is that Jesus is stronger than all of the polluting, shameful, defiled darkness. And that's the scandal of Christmas. Captured in these two simple passages, Beck says, John 1.14, which we read, the word became flesh and dwelled among us. John 15, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. The word did become flesh, Beck writes. God did dwell among us and still does. And even in the expletives, and especially in the expletives, he is Emmanuel. And I looked at the men in the prison and I paused and I wanted them to hear this because there is some real darkness in their lives and in ours. Darkness that we rarely speak about. And I looked at them and I, I said the meaning of the incarnation is that, is that God descended into all of the expletives of your life and is stronger than any of them. Do you believe it? He asked. Do you believe it? Because I know it's so hard to believe. You want to believe that your foulness and all the expletives in your life are the strongest thing that there is. That they are the greatest and the final truth about your life. But it's not. It's so hard to believe what I'm telling you because it feels like blasphemy, but it's not. It's not blasphemy. It's the story of the incarnation. It's the word become flesh. It's the story of God's love for you. And it's Christmas. So says Dr. Beck. 
wondrous indeed, isn't it? That God comes to meet us in the darkness and it won't overcome him. So in this series, we're going to spend some time exploring the character of God who promised to meet us in the dark. We're going to look at the God who invented joy. Dallas Willard used to say, God is the most joyful being in all the universe. Invented joy. We're going to look at the God who the Bible says above all is love. That is the grand epithet of God. God is love. We're going to look at the God who's described in the Bible as the God of all hope and the Prince of Peace. It's the character of God. Joy, love, hope, peace. Not just candle flames, but the blinding light that's able to meet us in the darkest places in our world. The wonder of the incarnation is that you can sink Jesus into the middle of all that muck and mire, and it's not him who becomes polluted. It's us who become pure. It's hard to let go of the darkness, though, isn't it? The story of Jesus' birth, some people marvel, some are overcome by the wonder, some people are threatened by it. It's always been that way. This idea that God is close, that comes as a great encouragement to some, and it's terrifying to others. It was that way from the very beginning. Remember this little detail in the Christmas story? The book of Matthew records the story of someone who was deeply disturbed by God in flesh, by the coming of Jesus. Remember these words? In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, some magi arrived from the east in Jerusalem asking, hey, where is this child who's been born the king of the Jews? Why? I mean, Herod fancies himself already the king of the Jews. It would have been deeply disturbing for him to have somebody else say, where's the real king? And the wise men go on. We observed his star. We saw it rising. We've come to pay him homage. And when King Herod heard this, he was frightened and all of Jerusalem with him. The great King Herod, terrified by this little baby. Here's what Tim Keller said about this. He said, in every heart, there is a little Herod that wants to rule and is threatened by anything that may compromise its omnipotence and sovereignty. And each of us wants to be captain of their own soul, master of their own destiny. Where's the true king? That question is the most disturbing question possible to a human heart, since we want at all costs to remain on the throne of our own lives. There's one other man in the Christmas story. I mean, there were lots of others, but one that I'll mention, and we'll close. He was promised that he'd get to meet this work of God before he died. Faithful old man named Simeon. He'd get to put his eyes on the Messiah. When finally he looks at the infant Jesus, this is what he said. Luke 2. This child, I mean, how poignant this is. This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. And as a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And then he looks to Mary and says, a sword will pierce your very own soul. 
There's part of the incarnation, you know, that is, that is comforting, powerfully comforting. God knows you. God understands you. But there is part of the incarnation that is also deeply threatening. Because if God became human in this little baby and then was crowned as king, it means we don't get to wear that crown anymore. That's the knock your socks off moment. That even when we cling to the darkness, even when we prefer the darkness, Jesus comes to us. But he wasn't born because people asked for it. And he wasn't born because we deserved it. He was born because he was a king. And as a king's prerogative, he came to collect his people, reach into human history, scoop them up from the darkness and the wonder of the incarnation. It's not just that he loved us, but that in love he came to get us. This Christmas, Jesus has come to get you. Amen. So these next few weeks, journey through Advent, preparing our hearts before Jesus comes. How is it you prepare? Change what you pay attention to. This year, maybe make a little bit more room amidst all the bustle. Make some space for wonder. Maybe you're going to commit, I'm I'm going to try and be here every week of the series. That's going to be one of the ways I pay attention. And then we want to give you a resource, one that we believe in a lot, On our website, starting today, actually it was starting Thursday if any of you look, but starting today you'll find links to an Advent resource written by our friends at CBOQ, Canadian Baptists of Ontario and Quebec. You'll recognize a little bit of it because we used it with the candle reading this morning, and we'll continue to do that. But there is a, a great package of material. You'll find Bible readings and reflections and prayers for you and for your family, all about this Advent miracle, all about this wonder that is Jesus with you. So every week from now until Christmas Day, material to help you focus on the wonder of Emmanuel, God with us. And if you pay attention, maybe Christmas hits you so hard this year that your socks come right off. <laughs> That's our prayer for you. Amen. Amen.